should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. Be a book. She can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because it costs us 20 cents every time we don't do an episode. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Bennett, who just released new terms of service for this show that demand every time he speaks, I have to buy him a cup of tea. Bennett, what's your favorite flute? Fruit, flute flavored. What's your flute flavor? What's my your favorite flute, flute is the piccolo, the small flute. <laughs> what's uh, your favorite you flavored asking. flute? Uh, what is your favorite <laughs> fruit-flavored gummy snack? Uh, Haribo gummy bears. See, that's, that's a popular choice, and yep. we all know you play yep. with the people. Uh, you're you know, good. I'm nothing if not a populist, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell by my voice and intonation. Um, I, I will say, and I don't know, yeah, they're fruit-flavored. The trolley gummy worms as well, I do. I'm a big fan. Pretty of good, a trolley, pretty good. Trolley uh, the sour worm. ones or the normal ones? Sour, sour, sour. Sour ones, uh, yeah, I like me a sour one. I do like me a sour yeah. the, the sour yeah. patch watermelon, pretty good. They're not my choice today. Okay. But Sour okay. Patch Watermelon are a Would uh, you like to tell me what your choice is? My choice is Benedict. And this is the chaotic evil approach, I think. Uh, gushers. Oh. Big gusher man. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> gushers was the cool kid snack when I was younger in school. Uh, okay. And I've never given up. I got some gushers at the convenience store uh, the other day. I like that all of your intros are like inspired by something you've eaten recently and you're just like ah you know that's sort of been a trend for the last you're hundred like, and however many episodes of the you're show like, you're like kaiser soze for food-based questions <laughs> <laughs> just looking at whatever's in your garbage bin being like i love gushes what about you oh i was walking down the street and i saw a guy with a ham sandwich and yeah. he was uh, Doing crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Benedict, uh, you probably know uh, what it is that we do here on this program. Uh, some folks, though, folks who have never enjoyed the juicy squish of a gusher. <laughs> Don't, I quit. Bye. <laughs> Done. They might not know exactly what it is that we do here. And to them, I would say, this is the show where we go a deep, a deep, deep. Deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative literature, and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Yeah, I'm already sick of presidential discourse. Yeah. Like, I know that we're fully more than a year out. Mm-hmm. We're in the stage of, should Biden replace Kamala Harris as uh, his vice president? Probably not, is the answer. Um <laughs> Like the takes, we're in. We're in the takes. Uh, which is the bad one, Nadir? Like whatever the the the, the, yeah, the bottom yeah. is. We're in the we're in the takes, Nadir. Where Not like nothing. The apex. In, yes. No, 
not the zenith. No, no nothing <laughs> nothing interesting has happened in the presidential race yet, but people think we should be talking about the presidential race already. So everyone's kind of just being like, ah. Okay, this the is VP not my candidate. hot take for the week, but this relates to what you said. I don't think there are going to be any interesting things happening in the presidential race. No, it's just going to be We know Trump who the Biden, two candidates yeah. are. It's yeah, the yeah. same exact thing. We know what a piece of shit Trump is. Like, there, there's nothing new to come out. The most yeah. that's going to happen is he's going to either be convicted or not in his many criminal cases. And, like, we all, we all already know. We all already know he did all the shit. So yeah. what is there? There's nothing. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm no, just in so that place of like a cold sweat in fear, worrying that Donald Trump might actually win a second ele- election and plunge us just just straight head over heels into the fascism uh, he's been cultivating for the last decade. Yeah, that could that's happen. the worry. <laughs> but anyway, I know this is a very potentially privileged thing to say, but every take is boring at the moment. Like no, mm-hmm. nothing interesting is happening in the presidential uh, election. As you say, I don't think anything will happen until literally, like, proper campaigning start. Like, post-primaries, nothing interesting is going to happen. So, like, we don't need to already be talking about it. We don't need to be thinking about 2024 implications. Like, the price of gas has gone up. What does that mean for 2024? Nothing. It means my bill has gone up. That's you all it gotta means. You gotta love that 24-hour news cycle, Benedict. Yep. That's it. That's Everyone it. I hate it. Clicks. I hate it. I hate it. What's your hot take? My hot take, Benedict. Uh, this is more of a gripe than a hot take this week. Um, yeah. Unity, which is a gaming engine, people know I'm a gamer, I love my games, mm-hmm. um, should go fuck itself. Because what it's currently trying to do is to strangle indie publishers to death. Uh, oh, sorry. Why am I hearing Portuguese? Spanish. I'm uh, fine. Sounds my, the same uh, to me because I'm racist. I accidentally unlocked my phone. I apologize. Okay. It was uh, it was a reel about uh, Goku from Dragon Ball Z, but nice. in Spanish. So nice. I want to hear the Spanish know. language takes about Goku. That's what I really want. It's Goku in therapy talking about how his his parents were killed in a genocide, mm. and then he accidentally killed his grandfather. How do you so. say Megata in Spanish? <laughs> oh, and then he discovered he had a brother in uh, <laughs> when he was 23 <laughs> years old, and it's not going well. Uh, none of which I knew about Goku because I haven't really watched Dragon Ball oh, Z. Oh man, you gotta watch. Dragon Ball Z. Uh, yeah, I hot also take, broke... hot take on Dragon Ball Z. It's not as good as it was when we were kids. Well, that's also true of Gushes, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah. Uh, but so Unity, uh, one of the larger gaming engines out there, uh, released. Uh, I think it was last night or earlier today. Uh, new terms of service that say they're going to be taking twenty cents from every download of a game that uses the Unity engine. Which... What if the game is free? It, well, uh, that's a different question. It's what it is. Is it's fucking the fucking quasi-monopolistic uh, society we live in, and the fact that there are very few game engines that are are you know, I mean, you know, Unity is one of them. there. There are several, but Unity is one of the big ones, obviously. Um, and the fact that it's an attempt to strangle uh, publishers who have nowhere and game designers who have nowhere else to go um, and uh, get more of that sweet, sweet fucking cash. Because they just want their goddamn money, and that's all they fucking care about. Um, and I'm Hasn't pissed off about it. Apple kind of set that precedent, right? With like being uh, like, we yeah. take 30 percent of every. Well, no, that's publishing. That's different. Pub- the publishing industry, we would have to talk about the monopoly that's no, no, has the app store, the app store. Yeah, I think like even like Netflix is like they have to. If someone downloads, yes. if someone signs up to Netflix, if they sign up the to app it through the app store, then iTunes gets a cut. That is correct. Yeah, this is different because it's not a publisher. This is the engine. 
This is a core component gotcha. of the actual game itself. Um, and this is what people use to make games. Um, I'm not I'm not a game designer. I'm not a coder. I don't know anything about it. I know that I enjoy games and I watch a lot of YouTube videos and listen mm -hmm. to podcasts about games because I enjoy gaming and I enjoy the culture and I enjoy the people that I encounter there. And we're recording this uh, episode in advance because Benedict's going on vacation. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so by the time this episode comes out, uh, the sh public shaming might have caused them to undo that policy. I sure hope so. But I really think it's on uh, everyone to shame the fuck out of them for doing this. I really would love that to be the case. So that's uh, why it's my hot take for the week. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Just, you know. Anyways, Benedict, uh, what's on your bookshelf this week? Uh, bookshelf this week? Knew you were going to ask, so that's why I was staring at the bookshelf. Uh, I picked up a copy of something I've never read, which I'm excited to read. Uh, started reading it. Atlas is... Shrugged. He's yeah, so stoked. Yeah, that was it. So stoked. No, <laughs> Didn't actually, I send you uh, a copy of it? You I did, thought yeah. I, did. I have it in my drawer of shame <laughs> where all the books of shame live. The... Hey, my bad books are all out in the open. I have two bookshelves that are stuffed full of absolute shit, and <laughs> everyone can see them who comes to my house. That's good. So nobody sees them. <laughs> hey. Um, no, The Invisible Man by uh, Ralph Ellison, which is a classic that I just have never got around to reading. So I am excited. I to think do so. I read an abridged children's version. version That's of interesting. The Invisible Man when I was younger. Yes. There was like this series, like scholastic books, like published these abridged, like, you know, shortened, simpler language, that kind of stuff. For kids, I think I read that version of The Invisible Man when I was a kid, is what I recall. I just, I like, that stuff confuses me. Because it's like, <laughs> it's like when they made the, and I, like, I understand the concept behind it. But, like, when Ibram X. Kendi released, like, the, the kids' versions of, like, How to Be an Anti-Racist and, like, stamped... He did like a stamped for kids version. Oh no, man! Just nothing made for kids is good ever. That's no. just the way it is. It's just, just never make good. things specifically. <laughs> don't rewrite the same thing for kids. That's weird. But just like, don't make anything for kids. They're they're kids. They'll yeah, be fine. Give enough. them a stick and some dirt to play with. <laughs> That's all they need. We've learned a lot about Kevin's upbringing here. I've been reading Those ahead in Josh Hawley's book. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> cool. What about you? What's on your bookshelf? Uh, my bookshelf this week, Benedict. I'm going to recommend everybody go check out Molly Conger's website, uh, where she has a series she's been writing about uh, a lot of uh, the lawyers of the alt-right and the... Why do, I don't even know why I use alt-right anymore. I don't know if that term even applies. Uh, Neo-Nazis and shit. Uh, it's called The Devil's Advocates. I will link it in the show notes. It's great. Um, I think everyone should check it out. It's a whole lot of fun, and it's, it's a great title. Right up my alley. I know, right? It's like, uh, could you name it anything other than that? It's almost like no. you're pigeonholed. It's no, almost it's like a, that's sort of just what you have to name it. It's a level of nominative determinism unfound <laughs> anywhere else in publishing, I think. <laughs> Dork. Anyways, Benedict, on to housekeeping this week. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod and at NYGBCBen on Twitter. Updates. Uh, we have no updates because, as I mentioned, we are recording ahead of time this week because Benedict told me minutes after we finished recording the episode that re released last week that he was going to be going on vacation. We had to record ahead of time, so we're doing three episodes this week, which is great, which is fine. 
it's one of which fine. is because you keep not watching the fucking Barbie yeah, movie. Yeah, still, still. And we haven't done a Patreon episode since still August. Still would have been July. nice to tell me a little bit in advance. When I tell you in advance, you forget. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you, you might have told me about minute. this in advance and I forgot about it. Yeah, honestly, let's I say I did. You. Who knows? Oh, we need a shared Google Calendar yeah, so bad. that's fine. Uh, but so anyways, no updates this week because we literally just recorded like a day ago. Uh, but, Benedict, we do have one inductee into the Spooky World New World Order. Uh, chosen at random from my Twitter replies because, like I said, it's been two days since the Loves the reply time. guy. Uh, but uh, best Kevin. reply to one of my tweets over the last week. So it goes out this week to Gamork on Twitter. You are now part of our... New world, spooky world, order, bro. I really want you to work on the impression to the point where people can't tell it apart from the audio clip. No, it's too grainy in the audio <laughs> recording. I can't make my voice grainy. I know, that video quality is kind of shit. Uh, but if you would like to join the spooky world, new world, order, bleh, of course, you can tweet or post about the show on social media. Recommend it to others. Send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity. Or, uh, bleh, I always put that or at the wrong point. Become a patron or... Get my attention with something good. All that out of the way, Benedict. It is time to begin. I just realized I don't think we ever like officially told the listeners what the next book was. We, I don't no, think we officially right. made the announcement. You're right. I'm realizing because you and I kept talking about it. We knew what it was for yep. like the last couple weeks. Yep. Uh, but I don't think we ever actually explicitly mentioned it. I think it's it. been demanded by enough listeners that like people should know. But uh, yeah. Oh, God. And it's one, we'll get into it today, why this one is difficult for me. Mainly my burning white hatred of the author of, of this book. Burning and, white hatred? Is yes. That, white, is that... white hatred is the only kind he'll accept. <laughs> uh, and uh, that is, of course, the book Manhood, The Masculine Virtues America Needs. By uh, petty fascist Josh Hawley. And I mean petty spelled in the French, not, not like, petty. Like petty bourgeois. Like, yes, exactly. Than petty. That's exactly what I mean. That is exactly what I mean. So he's, what you mean is petty fascist. Sure. No, <laughs> fascist has to be in English. He'll, he'll get mad about that. Uh, you don't know none of them their French words. I'm, uh, I'm really uh, put, just putting a lot of French accents into the podcast recently. <laughs> just <laughs> Stephen Claudet as the petty fascist. <laughs> But yes, we're doing Manhood by Josh Hawley, who, by do the way... Do we need to re- do like a minute or two on the Steven Seagal book before we get into this? Oh, man. I I thought I thought we covered it pretty well. Yeah, um, I guess. I mean, I just... I, I know I think, you just love it and you want to keep talking about no, it. No, I do. I, I It is sad that it's done. I, I, like, I, I guess I just want to know, like, from the audience, if people enjoyed it. Like, it's a bit different from what we started the podcast to do. I think it was fun. I don't know if it's more of a patron thing, like normally, like should we do that sort of stuff on the patron? Is it good on the main feed? Is it like a supplemental thing we should do? Like I'm open to feedback, you know? Like that's that's the that's <laughs> my up vibe. Benedict in the DMs. That's it. Slide it. Slide in like a snake Smash under. Smash that spell. like button and subscribe. <laughs> Hit the bell so people. Um, uh, yeah, all that. Yeah, stuff. whatever. I mean, listen to the podcast and share it with people too. But also, like, yeah, let us know. Like it's. It was, I, we had a lot of fun. I'd say it's probably the most fun we've had oh, doing, a, a doing a book. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's not exactly what we 
the original purpose you of know, the podcast. You know, I, I will that. say that I have always looked at the the goal of this podcast as examining the right through books, right? Just yeah. in a general sense. And I think even though when we started we always thought of it only in a nonfiction sense, right? I think looking at that book did uh, expose a lot of things about the right to us. It's certainly an insight into adult brains. (laughs) Well, and and I made the point, I think, at the end of that review that I think that Tom Morrissey is much closer to the median Trump voter, the median Republican, than most of the people whose books we read, right? Most of the people whose books we read, they know they're lying. They know they're full of shit. Tom Morrissey believed every fucking word of that, and he thought it was real. He thought yeah. it was happening. And that I think that does provide some insight. And also, it was hilariously funny how bad it was. There's also that. He's also incredibly untalented. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I think there was some some definite value towards the, the goal of the show. In addition to, I think for us, a bit of a stress release, Val. Yeah. Because let's be honest, we have been on a string of some pretty fucking shitty books. Over the last year or so, I think. You're not wrong. Uh, we, I mean, didn't we start off the year? I think the beginning of this year, we were still on God and Man at Yale. Uh, or did we finish that last year? I don't remember when that was. No, exactly. I think we were still doing that. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's just been bleh. Mark Levin was utter fucking bullshit. It yeah. was like, you know, copy-paste bullshit from other people and whine about it, right? Uh, so we, we, I think we sort of needed that stress release valve. Well, oh, we did Alex Jones and then and then this. So. Oh, I forgot. I for- How did I forget about How Alex? How did you forget Ar- I Alex? I don't know. Yeah. I honestly don't know. But, Benedict, that leads us into what we are stepping into now, uh, which is going back to another one of the right smart little boys. Uh, uh, they're l'enfant terribles, as you said, uh, yep. which is Josh Hawley. Um, now, I do want to talk about this book briefly before we start doing his bio that we normally Kay. do. Uh, Hawley has written one other book. Which was Has he? The, I didn't know he, that. Yes, you didn't know about his other didn't book? Know. You didn't know that he had written The Tyranny of Big Tech? You know what? Now you say it, maybe I did. Right. No, but you know what? If I told you, hey, Benedict, there's a book called The Tyranny of Big Tech, and I asked you to tell me who had written it, you could list off 50 different Republicans in Congress. Oh, for sure. And any yeah. one of them could have probably written that book. Oh, yeah. I mean, them also, I mean, that, that could be uh, easily Michael Knowles. Uh-huh. Uh, ben Shapiro could write that. Um, I could see Glenn Beck writing that as well, but he'd give it a snappier title. It's, um, it's sufficiently melodramatic and whiny to be any one of any number of right-wingers, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this book, though, obviously, is a step in a different direction for Josh. Now, Josh, uh, he wrote this book over the last... I think this came out earlier this year, right? I'm pretty sure it came out like... Yeah, he wrote it after, it after Jan 6, for sure. Oh, yes. No, he definitely did after <laughs> After video emerged of him running away. And, and that might not have that you something to do. Not that you shouldn't run away when faced with a violent situation. I encourage everyone True. to run away. Yes. But Safety you can't be like, I'm writing a book about manhood and how Americans need to toughen up and then be like sprinting down a corridor uh jogging i'd say i'd say jogging was oh what yeah because you didn't want to ruffle his expensive it was a suit. little it was a little hop a little it was, hip, it a was little like hop, he was you know you know when you like hold the suit jacket together so exactly. that it doesn't flap in the wind it it's was when like the door in front of you is about to close and you do that little half skip to get to it before it closes all the way that's yeah, what he was or doing like when now. someone's holding the door for you and yes. you're like oh i don't want to run but i also don't want to make them hold it for ages so i'm yeah. just gonna i'm gonna show an effort and, and then 
have just a little like, half smile and you pump a fist at the sorry, people who are threatening yeah, yeah, your yeah. life. You know, yeah, exactly that's it. that. So uh, January 6th, as a matter of fact, glad you brought it up, might have something to do with the fact that, weirdly to me, there are no blurbs for this book. Nobody... Interesting. Nobody apparently... Maybe they just didn't ask anybody, but there's no blurbs. Nobody did a, Josh Hawley is the big-dicked manhood, masculine boy that we all needed to tell us all how to be. Josh Hawley really shows off his manhood in this book and etc. Instead, on the back of the book, it just says, attributed to no one, quote, all is not well with men in America. I agree with him on the first statement. Yeah. We definitely agree. And that spells trouble for the American Republic. It has been a perennial question of political philosophy. I guess he thinks this is a work of political philosophy. Oh, it undoubtedly. I haven't opened it yet, but it undoubtedly is. Since the first republics were formed, whether a free nation could survive without soundness of character in its people. The old-fashioned word for that is virtue, meaning not just moral uprightness, but the personal fortitude and vision such uprightness produces. Strength, in other words. Machiavelli called it virtu. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. You haven't read Machiavelli in Italian. Shut the fuck up. Uh, practically everywhere also, one looks hold in America on. now. No, yeah. no, no. One second. Machiavelli called it the word for that in Italian. Yes, yeah, I no know. That's shit great, isn't it? Isn't that great? Machiavelli spoke Italian <laughs> is what he's essentially <laughs> saying. <laughs> Practically everywhere one looks in America now, male virtu is crumbling, and the consequences for the country are grave. Dot, 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 dot. Ooh, he uses four dots. Ooh, yeah, boy. Yeah, who else did that? Mm, Levin that did Mark, that. That was Mark Levin with the, four, yeah. the random four versus three dots, yeah. Yeah. These are troubled times, but trouble may lead to renewal. The possibility of something better for men, for America, M-dash, awaits us. And that last bit there strikes me of the fashy meme of hard times create strong men. Yeah. Strong men create blah, blah, that bullshit, right? Yep. And we're going to talk about it's Josh Hawley being a fascist today. We're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, the interior of the book jacket after we get through talking about Josh. Okay. But Benedict Ham, <clears throat> Joshua David Hawley was born December 31st, 1979 in Springdale, Arkansas, to his father Ronald, a bank executive, and his mother Virginia, a teacher. Yeah, it's always... It's always classic, classic populist politics. Pop, oh, what a populist, that bank executive father. A few years later, uh, in 1981, when he was two or three years old, uh, the Hollies moved to Lexington, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas City, uh, because his father joined a division of Boatman's Bank Shares, which is like the 12th or 13th largest financial institution in the world uh, that was located out there in uh, the in Kansas City. Ne- uh, literally never heard of it, which is wild. It's, it's yeah. Uh, most people haven't, actually. Yeah, but then, like, out here, like, I, I see, like, they, like, donate to the zoo here in uh, St. Louis. And, like, I've seen, yeah, it's weird. Uh, do they just do all the banking for the Midwest? Is that why? No, it's not even like that. Like, out here, like, Bank of America is big out in, out in St. Louis. Like, yeah, it's strange. Doesn't matter. Uh, but <clears throat> Josh attended Lexington Middle School, 
and then went on to Rockhurst High School, which is an all-boys Catholic high school, uh, which is definitely a, a sign of a psychopathy, we all know. Uh, I asked one of my colleagues, by the way, who lived in Kansas City, if they had, like, an impression of Rockhurst, uh, and I got a very short text response that just read, Asshole Factory, which is great. I enjoyed. Very uh, good. You sure you didn't ask them about the Ivy League? <laughs> also an apt definition. Yep. Uh, but while he was in high school, Holly wrote a column in his school paper, which all you kids out there, one, you shouldn't be listening to the show. Two, uh, you should listen and learn is never a good idea. Uh, <laughs> two, if you are listening, share it with your parents. Yeah. I don't care <laughs> if you want to be the next big journalist. I don't care if you want to work for the Washington Post. Don't write for the school paper. Don't do it. It will come back and haunt you. Like Josh Hawley's will right now. Uh, so the Kansas City Star in Unless it's not online, which obviously well, everything is now. Uh, I mean, this was a, this was in the, the 90s, so, you know, it, it was it was online. It was there. Maybe, no, that's what I'm saying. But maybe like, it's just people been digi- wanna, I don't know how they got a hold of it. I honestly don't. They might have gone to the school. physical pamphlets. They might have physically gone to the school and gotten old copies from the library or something. Yeah. They, they might have done that. Like, maybe. This is what actual journalists do. It's great. The real lesson, kids, is don't get famous. Exactly. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you will have done something, and people will find it. So. That, <laughs> You know, that is the one thing that we should tell all children. Whatever you do now is going to come back to haunt you. Just yeah. just hope. Even if it's banal, <laughs> you'll hate it. Oh, yeah. You're, like, oh, fuck. You're all on TikTok and everything. Yeah, oh, boy. You're all going to wish TikTok didn't exist very shortly. You're really yeah. going to wish that. Uh, but so in an article by Brian... Speaking as two people who have TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I don't post on it. I just no, enjoy scrolling through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so in an article by Brian Lowry, Jonathan Shorman, and Eric Adler, uh, they found some of his old articles. One article he wrote in June of 1995 bemoans the negative treatment of people in the militia movement in the United States. He wrote, quote, Many of the people populating these movements are not radical right-wing pro-assault weapon freaks as they are originally stereotyped. Dismissed by the media and treated with disdain by their elected leaders, these citizens come together and form groups that often draw more media fire as anti-government hate gatherings, Holly said. Feeling alienated from their government and the rest of society, they often become disenchanted and slip into talks of conspiracy theories, which is in scare quotes, and how the federal government is out to get them. Uh, Benedict, two months before that article, on April 19, 1995, Timothy McVeigh had detonated a truck bomb at the Alfred P. Murrah building in Oklahoma City. Awesome. Yeah, that was his response to the Oklahoma City bomb. Really has a bad sense of timing yeah yeah he does doesn't he that you know what that or, might be a or, defining or like feature of a Josh bad sense life. of meeting the moment of like yeah. this is the take i'm gonna have at this moment in time bad 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 moral compass mm-hmm. i would say possibly the worst moral compass of any elected current elected official yes absolutely in another article he wrote quote in this politically correct society Derogatory labels such as racist are widely misused, and our ability to have open debate is eroding. Sorry, is this was this written in the 90s? Benedict, you know from context there's a bad backstory coming from this one, right? You know that. You know that. No, yes, I do, 90s. 19- but what I'm saying is that could have been written in 2018 oh, yeah, by a the, dumbass Republican. The talking points haven't changed. changed. Yeah. <laughs> 
This but article, if you call me a racist, what am I supposed to do except be racist? Oh, you just don't want to have a debate. Uh, that <laughs> article, Benedict, was about Mark Furman. Do you know who Mark Furman is? No, but I know that you're going to tell me. He is the racist cop from the OJ trial who admitted on a series of recorded cassette tapes to falsifying evidence, committing violence toward African Americans, and used the N-word 41 times. And who another witness during that trial testified had told her, quote, the only good N-word is a dead N-word. That's who Holly wrote, derogatory labels like racist are being misused was this, against. Okay, was this, and this doesn't matter, but it's just for my curiosity. Uh-huh. Was this as, a, as part of a column defending this person, or was this a throwaway line? Uh, they didn't include column. the full article, like in the okay. Kansas City Star article, so I don't have the full context, but... If you include that in your article about Mark Furman... It's not good. Yeah, you're not doing great. Uh, The same year as the Mark Furman article, um, he wrote that, quote, MLK must be rolling over in his grave at Reverend Jesse Jackson's defense of affirmative action, which he described... MLK must have been rolling in his grave at Malcolm X. MLK must have been rolling in his grave Mm -hmm. at Jesse Jackson. MLK must have been rolling in his grave at the BLM protesters. MLK Uh must have been rolling in his grave. He's been spinning like a top since he died, clearly. Yes. Uh, Jesus fucking Christ. He described affirmative action as a, quote, perverted racial spoils system and said that it had, quote, stirred up resentment amongst the races. Amongst the whites. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One race in particular, buddy. (laughs) And maybe one Asian guy who sued Harvard. But other than that, yeah. yeah. Uh, He graduated in 1989 as valedictorian, another sign of psychopathic tendencies, we all know, uh, and went on to attend Stanford University. Uh, Hold on. Yeah, another sign of psychopathic tendencies. Yes, that's true. One thing I will say it is weird that valedictorians exist at all. Like, is that I a know, thing in the UK too? No, it's insane. <laughs> we aren't like you are the special boy or girl. Like, well, you have like, like Latin honors, right? Yeah, but I mean, that's well, no, not in university. We have um, firsts, two ones, two twos. Like, we don't have cum laude or anything. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, be literally like anointing someone Specialist the special boy. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> deeply bizarre. Like, you are the chosen one. Like, what the fuck? It is. It is very. Like, I don't remember if my high school had a valedictorian. It's, or who it's it even been. weirder for high school. Oh yeah, it's, it's weird no matter what. It's I mean, weird I, at college, and, but it's at, even at Berkeley, we didn't have. School. I don't remember if we had Latin. Yeah, honor. fucking I think they just, I, they, they, Of course, they didn't you do didn't Latin have a valedictorian. Honors, they did like highest honors and, and other stuff. Yeah. Um, but so he was a history major at Stanford, uh, and while he was there, he wrote for the Stanford Review, a right-wing publication founded by white supremacist and fascist Peter Thiel, while he was a student at Stanford with money from neocon goon Ir- Irving Kristol. Uh, one of the articles he wrote there, yes, there are more articles, Benedict. Of course there are. Uh, was unsurprisingly homophobic drivel, well, which I'm, I'm sure much of what he wrote Is was he a failed journalist? Because, like, it's another one of those things it's where it's like, did he have things? a dream that he didn't achieve and I know, now so he's I a politician seen, that hates people? I haven't seen any indication that he wanted to be a journalist uh, in particular, but I think he's someone who thought that his words needed to be heard by people. That's yeah. sort of the impression I get. And so maybe I can't that's imagine being that kind of person as someone with a podcast. Oh, boy. No. Uh, no I, I have no uh, complex that uh, needs, <laughs> needs attention from others, <laughs> I say, into my microphone. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of his articles addressed Bill Bradley, who was a senator running for the Democratic nomination to the left of Al Gore, uh, saying, quote, 
in this season of cultural concern, when Americans worry more about values than anything else, as Al Gore understands, self-righteous pronouncements on racial oppression and gay rights activism seem oddly out of place, like disco music at a swing dance. Apparently, he, Bradley, learned nothing from the abject failure of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society programs. When pressed, Bradley's solutions are substantively the same as Johnson's. The federal government should play a bigger role and spend more money. Been there, done that. To great success. To very great success, indeed. Yes, I mean, not great success, but some success. And, of course, he wrote again about uh, affirmative action, which has been a big item throughout his career that he is obsessed with. Uh, it's probably at Stanford where he met Peter Thiel, possibly, not 100% sure, uh, who would, of course, go on to become one of Josh Hawley's patrons, as Thiel seems to do whenever he finds a neo-fascist smart boy. Uh, he never finds one does, he doesn't uh, like. Does Josh Hawley have to say his name at the end of every congressional speech as part of the patron <laughs> system? No, nah, he just does a hashtag. Uh <laughs> I mean, you can say, uh, you can, at least you can say about Peter Thiel, right? He puts his true mission ahead of his personal interest of not being burned at the stake by Christian fascists, right? That's, I mean, that's big of him. It's big of him. Uh, but Holly graduated with, again, highest honors from Stanford, mm. Phi Beta Kappa, another sure sign of psychopathy. Uh, while he was there, he studied under, studied under Professor David M. Kennedy, who's a Pulitzer Prize winner, winner and a historian who focuses on American history. Now, uh, I'm sad to say for Josh that Professor Kennedy has since expressed um, that even though Hawley did not incite the mob on January 6th, his actions, quote, did give credence to the patent falsehood that the election was rigged and its results illegitimate and followed up with a sick academic burn about Hawley's hero, Teddy Roosevelt, saying, quote, I think Roosevelt had a deep reverence for the sacred quality of our constitutionally prescribed institutions, and that mob of louts and clowns that stormed the Capitol building don't seem to have any regard for that at all. Mm, I'm sure that hurt Hawley's fifis. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure he didn't feel great about it. Uh, but then Hawley moved to London to teach at St. Paul's School for about 10 months from 2002 to 2003. Is that a big deal? Is it St. Paul's it's School? A, Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay. I don't need any more information than that. Uh, okay. it's, I, I mean, it, it's like, it, it's similar to Eton. Okay, sure. Uh, and then he, uh, <laughs> and I'm just imagining the picture of Boris Johnson. That's all I can think about. Uh, and then he returned to the U.S. to attend Yale Law School, another sign of frightening psychopathy, uh, where he graduated in 2006 with his JD. And of course, while there, he was president of the school's Federalist Society chapter. You mm. didn't even need to say that. You know, I could have. I absolutely could have get. If you were yeah. like, who was president? Yeah, the place it's where all the only thing go. he'll ever be president of. Yeah, <laughs> you say that, but you might have just cursed us to have it. Yep, that's it. It's right. my fault. This is going to be dragged out in it's twenty years' time. Uh, and Josh school, Hawley gets elected to his seventh <laughs> term somehow. Uh, after law school, he spent two years clerking for Judge Michael W. McConnell, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit, uh, which covers Colorado, Kansas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Utah, and Wyoming. Uh, McConnell is an originalist, so already proving himself to be a weak-minded hack, uh, who has attempted to argue that originalism is consistent with the holding in Brown v. Board of Education, which, uh, nuh-uh, 
It isn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Originalism. That thing that says the Constitution should be guided by what the founders thought when they wrote it. The people who owned brown people. I'm sure that squares with the ruling that says you can't discriminate against them in public schools. That makes sense. Uh, he also, at one point, supported a constitutional amend amendment to ban abortion uh, and uh, regularly ruled in favor of Christian nationalist positions. So, no surprise, Josh would get his start there. Uh, after that, in 2007, he became a clerk to Chief Justice John Roberts on the U.S. Supreme Court, oh, which fun. is where... Okay. No, not cool. Not cool. None of those things are cool. I didn't John say Roberts cool. John Roberts being I on the court, fun. not cool. Him yeah, no, being I there, know. not cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's also where he met his wife, Erin Morrow, who was also clerking for Roberts at the time. Uh, after clerking, he joined the law firm of Hogan Lovells, which is one of the world's largest law firms, uh, and he was an appellate litigator there. Uh, after a little while at Hogan Lovells, he moved back to Missouri and took a position as an associate professor at the University of Missouri Law School, where he taught con law, con, uh, constitutional law. I always say con law because that's just what you call it when you went to law school. Because that's what the cool kids call it. It is what the cool kids call it. I know it. That's what exactly law what is. I know what a tort is, and it's not a <laughs> chocolate cake. <laughs> and it's a tart. Uh <laughs> Uh, he also taught uh, legislation and torts. Uh, from 2011 to 2015... Chocolate cakes? <laughs> from 2011 to 2015, he was a part of the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, a right-wing theocratic nonprofit law firm which is named after Benedict... Thomas Beckett. Thomas Beckett! That is correct. That was the, the only... It was either that or Samuel Beckett, which <laughs> didn't feel right. Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury from 1162 to 1170 until he was executed by four knights of King Henry's court. Basically, for like not agreeing with the king getting more control well, over it's the actually, church. It's stuff. actually a fun story. I don't know if you know it. I got time um, for it. I got okay. nothing but time. So it's actually very Trumpian. Uh -huh. In the sense that the king, basically the king so and the I want more control over the church. You got yeah. this pope guy. Everybody That's talks about the pope. Everybody the pope. loves the pope, but they don't want to talk about me. I want to control the church. <laughs> so the Archbishop of Canterbury, so basically in the UK, the way the, re the religious system worked at the time mm -hmm. is that there Poorly. are two archbishops. This is before, this is when England was still Catholic. Uh, there are two archbishops who are the most powerful members of the church is the Archbishop of Canterbury and Archbishop of York. The Archbishop of Canterbury is the more powerful of the two. And that the was York a... one made those little chocolate patties, right? Yeah, that's correct. That was, uh, so at the time, that was a guy called Thomas Beckett uh, or Thomas Beckett. And then basically they had a disagreement about various monetary issues, other things. Um, and King Henry did the very like, I, what I think of as Trumpian thing. Of I was going to say like, hashtag king shit. King, basically king <laughs> shit. Of, uh, he didn't order anyone to kill anyone, but he, <laughs> he said out loud Look, in the company So I'm not going to say that I want him to go kill Thomas Beckett. I'm just going to say if he were killed, I wouldn't mind it. That's basically it. He said <laughs> out loud, will nobody rid me of this wretched priest? To which the knights went, we will, and went <laughs> off and killed him. So yeah, I read his Wikipedia article last night. I got the story, but <laughs> I liked your version of it. Yeah, it's a it's a truncated version, but I just I mean, will nobody rid me of this wretched pre? Like you know, it's... 
Uh, so the Beckett Fund has been counsel on a big string of really bad Supreme Court cases as well as lower court cases, including Burwell v. Hobby Lobby, which is the Obamacare-era case that lets family-owned businesses, i.e. multi-billion dollar national chain stores whose owner traffic in stolen religious relics from ISIS... Yeah, this is before we found out that, that Hobby Lobby was laundering money through ISIS. And, and a bunch of fakes. It's really funny because basically... All you have to do to sell a fake artifact to the Hobby Lobby owners is tell them, like, you have an iPod that belonged to Jesus, and they'll give you a fucking million dollars for oh, no, it. I meant, I meant Jesus. He works in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they were on the Little Sisters of the Poor case that let profit, uh, for-profit religious organizations not provide contraceptive coverage in their insurance. Fuck uh, you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, the god-awful Fulton v. City of Philadelphia case two years ago that said the City of Philadelphia could not refuse to contract with Catholic Social Services over the fact that Catholic Social Services explicitly discriminate against same-sex adoptive couples, which is great. It's great. It's really great. Uh, to be fair, they've also represented, like, one Muslim who wanted to grow his beard in prison. So, fine. But the overall thrust is not a net benefit to society, no. I'd say. No. Yeah. And it's also funny how, for example, uh, despite apparently being, you know, a, a non-sectarian, just pro-religious freedom organization, um, they intervened in a case to argue against Jewish plaintiffs who argued that Indiana's abortion laws infringed on their Jewish faith. Hmm. Sure seems like they care about one set of religious beliefs uh -huh. a whole lot more than others. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh worked on the Hobby Lobby case because he's also not just a psychopath. He's a Christian fascist. Um, and speaking of Christian fascism, in 2013, he was a faculty member of the Blackstone Legal Fellowship, which is a paid faculty position. I'm not editing that burp out of the episode. That is funded by the anti-LGBTQ plus hate group, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Hmm. The ADF, cool. fun story, uh, has as one of their goals, official goals, to incorporate Christianity into the U.S. legal system um, and runs a Christian-only adoption agency that refuses to adopt to Jewish parents. Uh, oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. And has uh, called for recriminalization of homosexuality, for example. That's when, more along the lines of what yeah, I thought you were going to yeah. say. Uh, and of course, they're one of the big groups that opposes decriminalization of homosexuality overseas, leading to the murder and brutalization of queer people around the globe. Great job, Josh. Uh, but by 2016, Holly was, you know, ready for the big time. Ready for the big leagues. And by so did he go time, straight to running to be senator? Did he start as a no, congressman? No, 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 no. We'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to uh, it. By big time, Benedict, what I mean is attorney general of one of the worst states in the union, Missouri, where I live. Yeah, that was his first. Is step. it pronounced Missouri or are you doing that It's ironically? Missouri. It's Missouri. It doesn't really matter uh, because it suckles at the teat of blue states. Uh, I mean, other than the blue cities that actually produce the only revenue this state has. Literally, St. Louis produces on its own about 40% of the entire state's GDP. Kansas City, I think, is like 30%, and then Springfield is like 10 It's like, <laughs> how are we run by fucking Republicans in this mm -hmm. state? Uh, but being caught up in the same wave of fascist sentiments that brought Trump into office, uh, Hawley had the support from the National Review's editorial board, who endorsed him in 2015. Uh, in that endorsement, they went on to criticize his Republican opponent, Kurt Schaefer, saying, quote, he began, began his political career seeking a Democratic appointment to the state courts. 
which which was just like he tried to get an appointment from Bill Clinton in the 90s. Cool. Uh, That he, quote, opposed attempts to reform the judicial selection process to reduce the influence of trial attorneys. Because Republicans, uh, what they mean by that is is plaintiffs' attorneys. That's uh-huh. that's what they're against. Uh, and that as a moderate to liberal Republican state lawmaker, he quote won the endorsement of the AFL CIO. How dare he? Yeah, uh, bust now, those sh- unions, buddy. That's good. Uh, now Schaefer himself was also a massive piece of shit. Uh, and in more recent years, <laughs> as a Missouri state senator has proposed a bill that would allow student organizations to receive public funds even though they refuse to abide by non-discrimination rules regarding sexual orientation. Great job, Schaefer. Uh, And more notably, during the 2016 campaign against Hawley, Schaefer, using his role then as a state senator, attempted to get the University of Missouri president to deny Hawley a leave of absence to run for the office and also pressuring him to deny Hawley tenure. That, of course, came That's out. That's pretty shitty, to pretty be shitty. honest. Uh, you hey, can't, yeah. you know what? It's almost one of those let them fight moments. Yeah, it, it's, it's it, really... look, there are many villains in this story. Yes, exactly. Uh, that, of course, came out during the campaign and might have something to do with why Hawley ended up winning that election. Uh, Hawley managed to raise $9.2 million for his campaign for the uh, attorney general. Uh, $4.4 million of that 9.2 came from a man named David Humphreys, the CEO of a company called Tamco Building Products, which is based in Joplin, Missouri. And fun fact, after January 6th, Humphreys disavowed Josh and called for him to be censured, which is, he's burned some bridges, is all I'm mm-hmm. saying. You don't go from giving $4.4 million to call in for him to be censured on a whim. Uh, Hawley, unsurprisingly, won that election with 58.5% of the vote. And I should point out, Benedict, that a large part of his messaging was criticizing career politicians who were, quote, climbing the ladder from one position to another. What the fuck are you doing, dickheads? Might become relevant in a moment, Benedict. Uh, But as Missouri Attorney General, Josh focused mostly on political stunt cases meant to do little more than bring him headlines, as all great attorneys general do. And it is attorneys general. That is the proper way to say it. Yes, yes, we know. General is an adjective, so it's attorneys general. You get it. Uh, To be fair, he did do some basic things that can be considered good, like suing opioid manufacturers for their role in the opioid epidemic, of course. But, you know, it was 2017, and just every attorney general across the country was doing it at that point. And he sure didn't stick around long enough to see how it turned out. Not that he cared about it in the first place. But more importantly, he did things like deciding not to prosecute cops who murdered Tory Sanders, a black man from Tennessee who suffered from depression, who one day got lost in Missouri and ended up at a Flying J truck stop where he did some laundry, hung out, and then asked the attendant to call police for him because he thought that he had a warrant back home in Nashville that he decided he wanted to clear up. Uh, This eventually brought him into contact with Sheriff Corey Hutchinson, who himself was out on bond for his own arrest the previous month on charges of robbery and assault of a 77-year-old hairdresser who he had gone to, who was in a dispute with his sister over, like, wages, who he went to and assaulted and took the money uh, yeah, it wasn't great. And was also facing civil lawsuits regarding his responsibility for the stillbirth of an inmate uh, uh, that an inmate had uh, related to being in his custody and the death of a woman who he arrested for a DUI. Hutchison, These fucking by the way, sheriffs, man. All over the fucking... I know. It makes you really love the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Organization. Jesus Christ. Hutchison, by the way, had been arrested on those charges that were filed by Josh fucking Hawley. 
and was still at work despite his peace officer's license being suspended. Uh, so when he was picked up by the police officers who came to that gas station and uh, took him to the jail, they found out that he didn't have a warrant and he was free to go. However, probably due to his depression, he decided he didn't want to go and that began the saga that led to his death. Uh, he was shot with a stun gun several times that day. Uh, and he kept refusing to leave the holding cell. He was argumentative and yelling at people. And then around 7 p.m., Hutchinson himself arrived at the jail and organized a crew of six pigs to storm the holding cell that Sanders was in, pepper spraying him before they did so. And 10 minutes later, after running in and using a stun gun on him in the cell, an ambulance had to be called because he was unresponsive. He was declared dead at 8 p.m. Holly declined to bring any charges related to the murder. Great. Yep. Great stuff, Josh. Good work. Holly sounds, also... Sounds portentous for Holly ignoring violent crimes yeah. in the Ho- future. <laughs> Might be a thing he does. Holly also, and I didn't put this in my notes, but Holly basically started off his career talking about human trafficking in a way that reads to me like a call-out to QAnon. Oh, for like, sure. And QAnon, Everything human trafficking related from oh, like yeah. 2015 I mean, onwards I mean, like, is... I, I didn't put it in our, our queue of things to listen to today, but the ad is literally like, if you live in Missouri, you've probably seen human trafficking. And mm, no, you, you probably haven't, because human trafficking is not the way the right tries to paint it. It is not. It's just, no, that's not the way it is. Human trafficking, uh, legally defined, maybe... Because generally, most prostitution is defined as human trafficking, but that's not what you all mean when you say it, and it's, it's really weird. Uh, but Hawley also used his staff at the Attorney General's office to hide emails between him and his out-of-state political consultants in violation of Missouri's open records law. A uh, judge found him that he knowingly and purposefully did so and fined the AG's office $12,000. And this year, in 2023, in continuing litigation over it, over the attorney's fees, uh, the court ordered the state, not Holly, to pay $240,000 in legal fees. It's great. How does that normally work? I mean, normally the, the specific person wouldn't have to pay, right? No, normally it would be the state. I would argue that it should be Josh Holly who had to pay that. I would think he should have to pay it. Maybe out of the proceeds of this fucking book, Manhood. Yeah. Maybe that can cover that two hundred forty k which in turn would probably just mostly be coming from Josh Hawley's campaign committee who probably bought a whole bunch of the books. Uh, ironically, that is almost exactly the same conduct that got our former uh, Governor Eric Greitens to resign. So Greitens and his staff were using Confide, which is an app that automatically deletes messages. And of course, Hawley initially declined to prosecute Greitens for violations of the Missouri Open Records So he knew he was doing it himself. Yeah, only to later open a half-hearted investigation after backlash to Greitens and basically the public being like, fuck you, buddy. Uh, And this all, of course, culminated in the media reporting on Greitens blackmailing the woman he was having an affair with. Might have something to do with why he was using encrypted messaging apps that deleted messages. Mm. Uh, Holly again refusing to investigate it. And then St. Louis former circuit attorney who recently resigned, Kimberly Gardner, opening an investigation, which eventually led to felony charges against Greitens. And Holly jumping in to say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm in on this. I'm definitely involved with this when it became really popular to shit on Greitens. So that's how that all turned out. 
Uh, he was one of 20 Republican AGs who joined a stupid and ill-fated uh, lawsuit against the Affordable Care Act. Um, Hawley's political opponent in 2018 election, Claire McCaskill, by the way, at one point pointed out that Hawley's lawsuit would gut protections for pre-existing conditions, which is easily one of the most popular aspects of the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. So Hawley wrote an op-ed in the Springfield News Leader saying, oh, no, no, no. I'm in favor of protections for pre-existing conditions, but, uh -huh. you know, his small government conservative stance on it, that it, sh it should be done with, Let the course. insurance companies decide, which never no, fucking works. No, uh, uh, taxpayer subsidies to reimburse insurance companies for high-cost patients. Yeah, okay. Small How government. small government principled of him, of course. Uh, <sighs> Holly also, of course, um, opposed the exoneration of wrongfully convicted man Ricky Kidd who was convicted in 1996 for the robbery and murder of two people in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, this despite the only eyewitness to the crime stating that the perpetrator was skinny when Ricky was over 200 pounds and not much of a gym guy. Uh, failure of the police to investigate Ricky's alibi, which would have shown on videotape at the time of the murder he was dropping his sister off at work. And discovery that the prosecution had unconstitutionally hidden evidence that included videotape depositions of the two actual likely killers. Seems bad. Oh, and by the way, the eventual recantation of the eyewitness who identified Ricky. Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, I haven't said this on the show, really, but uh, I told you I really didn't want to do Josh Hawley. I really didn't want to do Josh Hawley. Yeah. Uh, I've resisted it, even though you pushed this fucking book on me, you asshole. Um, and it's because I fucking hate Josh Hawley. Um, uh, yeah, famously. I, uh, I know Ricky Kidd. Um, I've hugged Ricky Kidd. Yeah. I've had meals with Ricky Kidd. I've spent entire afternoons sitting in really boring meetings with Ricky Kidd. I know the attorneys who won his, exon his exoneration. All of them are fucking heroes, and Josh Hawley is a fucking waste of skin. And, and the worst part of it is I'm sure that Hawley didn't actively play a role in 90% of what his office did to keep Ricky in prison for the rest of his life, right? Mm -hmm. Some fucking FedSoc drone they hired out of Mizzou Law School whose daddy owns a couple gas stations probably did most of the work. It didn't fucking matter to Josh. And that's no. and this is like part of the reason why I kept telling you I didn't want to do this book and this episode was hard for me to put together. Like... I hate Josh Hawley with a passion. He is someone who has spent his life actively working to make life worse for other people. And he has done nothing but personally benefit from it, right? He's like become a fucking celebrity on the right. They treat him as one of their precious, smart little boys, but only because of how much they value cruelty. Like that's a, it's a fucking part of it. I sympathize mm -hmm. and agree. And I apologize. Yeah, you fucking should, asshole. I will say that you made me do Alex Jones, <laughs> about whom you could say all the same things. So, you know. Fine. Uh, but Benedict... <laughs> it it's kind of comes with the territory of the show, I'm afraid. Uh, like, I'm sorry. I mean, to be fair, I really do hate most of the people who we talk about on yeah, the show. Yeah, exactly. This one's just um, closer to your heart. I just I have a, a that, special like, hate for Josh. Yeah, you know? no, I, I understand. And but remember how I said earlier... That Hawley was critical of career politicians who just keep trying to use their office. Tell as me a which office he ran for next. Mm, well, uh, 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 let me. Uh, He's first, still attorney general, right? Let me first play a little ad for you that Josh Hawley put out during his campaign for attorney general. Jefferson City is full of career politicians just climbing the ladder, using one office to get another. 
I'm Josh Hawley. I think you deserve better. I think we do too. Yeah. Well, in October 2017, <laughs> less than a year into his four-year term as Attorney General, yep. he announced he was running for the Senate as the representative from Missouri with this ad right here. Aaron and I have been thinking a lot about the future. The future of our boys. The future of the country. You would have thought that this last election would have gotten some folks' attention in D.C. But maybe not. Maybe not. The D.C. career crowd just keeps- Boy, that maybe not there. Acting. <laughs> but maybe not. Maybe not. That's great. Keeps on doing the same old thing. And you know, the system works pretty well for them. They're connected. But here in Missouri, we know too many people who can't get a job. Or if they've got a job, they can't get a raise. Farmers are hurting. You oppose giving people kids. raises, you prick. He is indeed opposed to raising the minimum wage. Can't come home. And as for health care and taxes, they just keep going up. Aaron and I have decided we have to do something about it. And that's why next year, I'm going to run for the United States Senate. This isn't something we were planning to do, but we believe we have to do all we can. Sure win. you weren't, Josh. Sure you weren't fucking planning on it. I'm sure that's true in October of 2017, 10 months after you took the attorney general's office. Sure about it. Now, I don't I do have to point out that Holly doesn't have the kind of fun insane ads that most of the far right creeps we've looked at have. But I think we do have to look at a few of them just to get the flavor, right? You know, it's, it's sort of become a thing when we talk about politicians. We look at some of their campaign ads. It's not going to be fun like, uh, you know, uh, J.D. Vance or anybody who we've looked at. But there's some wackiness here, so I'll just play you a couple. So this one is called Circus is the name of it. And uh, let's see. Okay. So the Constitution gives the U.S. Senate the responsibility of confirming justices to the Supreme Court. But the people sure. in our Senate today... They've created a circus. Liberals like Claire McCaskill and Chuck Schumer, they don't want the truth. They only want power. And too many Republicans won't stand up. I'm Josh Hawley, and I will fight for the Supreme Court. Yeah, if okay. you recall, you know, how time works, um, that was uh, regarding uh, noted rapist Brett Kavanaugh. Is, yeah. Yep, yeah, they made it a circus. And yep. I, mm, next one, Benedict. This one is titled Driven. We've got two perfect little boys. Just ask their mama. False. Earlier this year, we learned our oldest has a rare chronic disease. That's sad. I regret condition. it. We know what that's like. I'm Josh Hawley. I support forcing insurance companies to cover all pre-existing conditions. And Claire McCaskill knows it. You deserve a senator who's driven to fix this mess. Not one just trying to hang on to her office. Yeah, remember, this is the guy who tried to sue to undo the Affordable Care Act. But he cares about pre-existing conditions. He believes, he believes the words that come out of his mouth. And this is the last one I'll play you, Benedict. And this is the only one that was really wacky. I enjoyed it. Let's see how it goes. It's Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. And in Washington, more of the same. Yes, there are cartoon groundhogs on That's, the screen. Yeah, I'm imagining it like PragerU would do this video. <laughs> it basically is. It's not far off from that. They just uh, they didn't buy the premium package for animation on Fiverr. Oh, no. Claire McCaskill is refusing to be bipartisan. When President Trump passed tax cuts, Claire McCaskill, no. When he put a conservative on the Supreme Court, McCaskill, no. Even Senator McCaskill knows the failures of 
<clears throat> Senator McCaskill. We've been really good at all the talk in Washington for a while now, but we've been really bad at getting things done. It's Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day. Oh, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. I hope they sued him for that. Um, I, <laughs> who, Bill Murray? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Josh got Trump's endorsement by November of 2017 uh, and campaigned hard on being a smarmy little shit. Uh, Of course, we know he won the election, uh, 51% to 46%. Uh, And about a month after that, the uh, Missouri Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, announced an inquiry into whether Hawley had misappropriated public funds for his Senate campaign. Uh, That, of course, went nowhere because Republicans are never going to go after their own unless it becomes so blatantly obvious that you have to impeach, uh, let's just say, random political official in Texas. But uh, when that investigation was closed, the New York Post, of all fucking outlets, revealed that, on one instance at least, uh, he had billed a meal at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville in Florida at Universal Studios to his uh, campaign during a trip that was funded by lobbyists. Great. Isn't that fun? Yep. Uh, you know what? Mm, pour one out for Jimmy Buffett, but Margaritaville, yeah, that Josh Hawley fits in at Margaritaville. That's for where he sure. belongs. The restaurant, not the real Margaritaville. I saw, I, I was on the train back from uh, going out, in, out, out of town briefly for mm-hmm. the weekend, and people got on the train from Yankee Stadium on the way back in, and were, they were like, should we reserve a table at Margaritaville? I was like, <laughs> this is New York fucking city. And here you are. I mean, huh, sure. should we, do what um, you need to do. Do you think we're going to be able to get into Bubba Gumps? Is that yeah. going <laughs> to... You think the Applebee's will need a reservation at 7 o'clock oh, on the Saturday? you know, the TGI Fridays in Times Square, I hear That's great it. things. I hear really great things. <laughs> uh, but uh, once becoming a senator, he quickly began doing the big talk, do-nothing asshole thing he's done basically his entire career, doing things like visiting the U.S.-Mexico border to demonize immigrants. I mean, you just can't be a Republican and not do that. There's really no no not doing that. Uh, He gave a speech at the National Conservatism Conference in 2019 where he said, quote, For years, the politics of both left and right have been informed by a political consensus that reflects the interests not of the American middle, but of a powerful upper class and their cosmopolitan priorities. This class lives in the United States, but they identify as citizens of the world. They run businesses or oversee universities here, but their primary loyalty is to the global community. Some people had some things to say about that speech, Benedict. Um, I'll let you imagine what they were. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Josh. Uh, Legislatively, he has not done a whole lot. Uh, In his first term, he introduced resolutions... For example, condemning attacks on Christian worshipers in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday. Yeah, remember didn't that. Go anywhere. Uh, a resolution congratulating the St. Louis Blues on winning the Stanley Cup, which cool. was, to be fair, agreed to in the Senate. So congratulations, Josh. Uh, he here, here, Josh. Here, here. He introduced the Duck Boat Safety Enhancement Act of 2020. Uh, to be fair, um, that one uh, is probably based in a duck boat tragedy that happened at Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. Uh, Of course, it didn't pass because he's an asshole. And the Supporting and Treating Officers in Crisis Act, which did pass, which just reauthorized a series of grants that were already in existence uh, for another four years uh, and included some suicide prevention and mental health services. Fine. Then we get the No TikTok on Government Devices Act, or NTOGDA, as it's known. Snappy. Uh, 
which failed. Yep. Uh, and in more recent times, things like the COVID-19 Origin Act of 2023, which did become law, and they probably wish hadn't because, you know, their conspiracy theory was false all along. Turned out not to be right, yeah. Didn't produce any evidence supporting it. Uh, he also introduced the Preventing Elected Leaders from Owning Securities and Investments Act, or Pelosi Act, which was designed to fail, but have a fun name. Yeah. And look, that's, you know, if that took a day to come up with, it was worth it. In oh, my and if and if Hawley had any uh, belief that it would actually pass, he never would have introduced it. Uh, no. Absolutely. Uh, he's essentially just a shit poster who's no good at Who it, happens but to managed, be a senator. Managed to become a... It's like his shit posting is just boring. It's like... Yeah, Mormon in its blandness. It's like, just, hey, bro, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it the Pelosi Act. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then in 2020, Donald Trump lost an election, and the right, who you honestly wouldn't believe this would be possible, somehow lost their goddamn minds even more than before. Uh, and Josh, of course, was there at the very beginning. Uh, on December 30th, 2020, he was the first senator that announced his intent to object to the certification of votes on January 6th. Um, and I do think it needs saying, right? Um, Josh is a dipshit, but he's not dumb, right? Yeah. There's a difference between intellect and intelligence. And uh, it also has to be said, right? Some people might even have both, but have evil intent. Um, I think more so than other people, Josh has, has more of both than most of the people we talk about mm -hmm. and definitely more evil intent, uh, right? What I'm getting at is like, Josh knew there was no massive voter fraud. He's too smart for that. Uh -huh. He knew that Trump lost, but he was still one of the loudest and most enthusiastic sponsors of the big lie and all the post-election lies about voting and all that bullshit. Are you telling um, me he's taking a political position to further his reputation and career with the base of the Republican Party? Is that I would what never say me? such a thing, Benedict. I would wow. Never, I would okay, never good, say such a thing. Okay, good, because I was going to push back on that. I would imply such a thing. Uh, but on <laughs> I'll Jan say it. That's exactly what the fuck he did, dickhead. <laughs> on January 4th, 2021, uh, Josh tweeted out that his D.C. home had been vandalized and his family had been threatened by Antifa. Now, unfortunately for Josh, there was video of the protest he was referencing, um, and it showed uh, that some protesters rode on the sidewalk with chalk and left a copy of the Constitution on his doorstep um, and the police who were there said there was no violence or vandalism, and one of them said into a video camera that later played on the news, I didn't think it was that big a deal, uh, which was great. So it was a great moment. But two days later, on January 6th, 2021, Holly would forever become Fist Boy, and not the good kind of Fist Boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before the counting of electoral votes, uh, jo Josh walked into the Capitol from the uh, outdoor parking lot over on the, that would be on the east side? Of, yeah, it's the east side of the Capitol, mm -hmm. uh, with his fist raised high, saluting the pro-Trump pro pro protesters like the good little fascist he is, in a moment that was captured on camera by Francis Chung, who is a photographer for E&E &E News, an environmental publication outlet based in D.C., and, you know, like, we all know what happened that day. We're going to have, like, a series of episodes on January 6th. At some yep. point, I don't really need to go into all of it. But we all saw Josh do his little jog down the hall as he and the rest of Congress had to be evacuated to safety from the chaos he created. And then later, uh, this is the part that I don't think enough people recognize enough. 
after the voting eventually continued, and that I remember vividly because I stayed awake that entire night until all the counting of the votes was finished, just fucking glued to C-SPAN of all things. Yep, me too. Holly, yeah, we were texting throughout that He's entire thing. He's still objected. He's still objected. Yep, I remember that. To the that. electoral votes of Arizona and Pennsylvania, proving that he never will learn. He yep. really just won't. And, you know, he did get backlash at first, right? But he just called it cancel culture, which I guess is all you have to do on the right to get it completely it's very ignored. easy. Yeah. And, I mean, like, given that it only took a matter of days for the right to entirely change their tune about January 6th after, like, the 30 seconds of mea culpa they had, like, it, we all, it doesn't matter to any of them now. It, no. it really doesn't. No, and Many of them actively... think it was Antifa who did it, yeah. or it was Deep State, or it was the FBI, whatever, like, because they've done so much propaganda, propaganda to put all that out. But, like, so many of them who even know that, that it wasn't fake don't care. They just don't fucking care. Um, but, you know, he's uh, just another sad boy wannabe fascist who will probably have a place in the next Trump regime as the uh, lead prosecutor of the wokes if Trump wins again, um, which will be fun. It'll be really fun to see. Yep, you know? Attorney General of the United States, Josh Hawley. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to end off today, Benedict, uh, with a little clip from a speech that Josh Hawley gave a few years ago. Maybe earlier this year? Was it? Yeah, it was this year, actually. It wasn't even that long ago. Mm -hmm. uh, this is from uh, 6-23-2023. This is the Faith and Freedom Coalition Road to Majority Conference 2023. Josh was one of the speakers, who, by the way, fun fact, went on stage right after Mike Pence. That's when uh, Josh Hawley was on stage. It's great. A great time. And I figure we could just... Um, See what the man has to say and uh, see if there's anything to it. I'm sure there won't be. It's not going to be great. No. How you doing? Thank you. Thank okay, you. Thank pause you. it. It's giving youth church energy already. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've mentioned that Chris Hawley is a Christian fascist. I don't yeah. know if I went too deep into that that much. No, not We're really. We're going to get plenty of that, that was, in this That book. was very youth pastor energy. You're going to hear some Christian fascism in this Let's speech right here. Let's do it. Boy, it is good to be here. I tell you what, it is. Yeah, how's everybody doing tonight? Tip your waitress. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good to be with some patriotic, Bible-believing, God-fearing Americans. And I do want to preface what we're going to hear Holly say by saying that I think that Holly, more than a lot of the people who go out there and do performative Christian fascism, I believe that Hawley is legitimately a Christian fascist. And that goes not back only to his connections to, like, the ADL, the Blackstone, the, all that stuff. Um, but it, it, he's a Christian fascist. I, I just got to say, he's a okay. fucking Christian sure. fascist. Legit one. Or as Joe Biden calls you, threats to our democracy. So, Bennett, talking about humor on the right. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> a basket of deplorables. Remember that? <laughs> hey, Hey, I tell you what, let me just get my confessions in right up front here. I'm proud to be here as a conservative, but much more important than that. I am proud to be here as a follower of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. He's definitely trying just... to hit that preacher type delivery. Uh, you know, there is something to be said for people who spend their entire life in fucking uh, megachurches picking mm -hmm. up on that. Yeah, there's a little bit of that delivery there. Say this to our friends on the left who are constantly telling us that. 
the rootless cosmopolitans, if you will. I don't think he's going to refer to them in the way that one refers to friends. Mm. Faith and politics have to be separated, that we as Christians are supposed to keep our beliefs and our faith and our expression inside the church walls. I just say no way, no how, not in the United States of America. He fucked up his words there. There is not. There is not one square inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ is not Lord. And okay. there is not What one about the other religions, dickhead? Like how yes. how are we going to separate religion and politics? Well, they're all fake. To yeah. Josh. That's yeah. So they they don't matter and we should stomp their brains out because they're our enemy. Yeah. One square inch of this country or the problems we face that the Bible does not have something to say about. And it is how about uh, my iPhone not charging fast enough? Does the Bible have something to say about that? Does the Bible say how to, does it give instructions uh, and say I have well, to buy an Apple approved charging cable? The originalist, the, the originalist interpretation would say that you should stone the iPhone <laughs> as a witch. Time for Christians to be bold again and to take the lead again. Listen, you know, you know, in every hour of this country's danger and every moment of trying, Christians have risen to help lead this country and to help lead the way. We did it in the first great awakening that helped move this country toward revolution and independence. We did it in the abolitionist movement. Mm. What was the abolitionist movement in Missouri? Did, um, hey Josh, um, were there also Christians who didn't do it in the abolitionist that, movement? You know, that absolutely Perhaps. were, Kevin. Yeah. This is like being like, uh, whatever they always say. Was it the Bush speech? They're like, uh, half a million Americans died to end slavery. Like, yeah. well, <laughs> uh, maybe 250,000 yeah. or so did. 250,000 <laughs> died for a very different reason. Yeah. Actually, the numbers aren't that even. You get what I mean. Yep. That fought for decades to eliminate the scourge of slavery. And, you know, this month when we have a federal holiday where we recognize the abolition of slavery in this country. I like that they didn't, Can I just tell he didn't have that as an applause line. He just yeah, kept adjusting I know, page. that was one of the things he I noticed. He didn't pause for applause on that line at all. Tell the truth here again that the left finds hard to believe. Here it is. Christianity is the faith and America is the place that slavery came to die. Or... Is it one of the places it came to live the longest as one of the last nations to outlaw it? Is it that? Maybe, Josh? Yeah, is that what I think it that's is? probably it. And we should be proud of that. By the way, it, uh, this is a, a OAN or a RSBN broadcast, and uh, I do always like to point out their ads because they're fantastic. Uh, the one that's on the screen with Holly up there is coffee for america's warriors by you know who bendick black rifle coffee I no it's blackout coffee oh <laughs> i love that somebody tried to steal black like black rifle maybe wouldn't advertise with rsbn yeah. but somebody who would steal black rifle's name and rely on people barely remembering it and thinking maybe that's the one they would advertise on rsbn yeah Christians were the ones. It was Christians who led the evangelical reform movement in the last century that protected the family by ending child labor in this country. Mm. Uh, or was it 
perhaps progressives largely in cities also do you want child labor to have ended like if i asked you in the stuff out of arkansas yeah (laughs) by limiting the working hours for men in the factories to protect them so they could come home to their families you know who did that unions Unions did that unions Unions did did that. that yeah to be fair benedict just given numbers, like, most of the union people were probably Christian? Yeah, no, that's true, but it's only because kind of everyone was. I know. Um, I think I, think I have called this man a dickhead more times in an hour than I've called anyone a dickhead. He's without... a massive, raging dickhead. Off and- Which, by the way, Benedict, I don't know if you noticed this when you got your copy of the book, but I thought Josh Hawley's manhood would be larger. I thought it would be smaller, if anything. <laughs> be able to worship the Lord. No, at every moment, at every time, Christians have risen to lead, and now it's time again. Because we are facing the greatest challenge this country has ever seen, certainly in my lifetime. You know, President Reagan told a group of evangelicals 40 years ago this year that the focus of evil in his day was Soviet Marxism. Well, now we face a new Marxism. A new Marxism that is rising in this country, a cultural Marxism that... Oh, that was the point I was getting to. Okay. Nazi slogan. Cultural Marxism. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, I I think, this is just a thought, Benedict, uh, but uh, given the schedule we set out for ourselves today, uh, maybe, there's only a couple minutes left in that, but maybe we could do uh, the rest of that speech as a tidbit after we finish recording here. Sure. Since we owe the patrons because we've been delaying on the patron. Yeah, we'll put it out. But so, you know, I didn't really touch on it much on his theocratic tendencies other than by relation before we got to that speech because I sort of wanted to keep it all fresh when you got to hear it brand new. Great. There's some fucking Christian fascism in that thing. That is, yep. that's that what this sense. man is. So Okay. Uh, and in the end, you know, the question I always return to with all the political figures we look at on the right, you know, is whether they believe what they promote or whether they're opportunists who say it just for, for you know, opportunism, obviously. <laughs> um, and before even having read his book, but having here, you know, heard that, done research into Josh, um, I want to stake out my position right now that Josh is definitely a true believer in Christian fascism. Okay. I have no idea if he believes in trickle-down economics or deregulation or denying climate change or all the other bullshit right-wing positions because he's not very vocal about all that from what I've seen. But Mm -hmm. the one thing he has been extremely vocal about is his very active and pressing desire to force his toxic and destructive religion on all of us and not stop beating us to death with it until we give up and say, we'll join him at the book burning. He will just take the fucking boot off our necks. And that is Josh, Josh Hawley. Is Josh Ladies Hawley. and gentlemen. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the book, uh, I, I did say I wanted to read the uh, book jacket. Uh, I mean, you know what? I'm not even going to do that. Uh, well, yeah, I will. I'll read this, and I also want to just uh, uh, discuss the chapter titles very quickly, Benedict, and then we can okay. end the episode. So, uh, to finish it off, I thought I would read the, the little uh, uh, description of the book inside the book jacket, uh, which says, quote, What makes a man? Question mark. What gives his life purpose and meaning? What sort of men do our families, neighborhoods, and nation need to survive and prosper? Uh, trans men. That's the kind we need. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley addresses these urgent questions in his compelling new book about the crisis of manhood, M-Dash, 
a crisis played out not only in dire social statistics, but also in the lives of Holly's own law students and friends, whose fates have ranged from happiness and success to failure and even tragedy. Drawing on the wisdom of the ancient Greeks and Romans... <laughs> Jerusalem never, and Athens, Jerusalem ne- and Athens. Everything never a sign same. of fascism when no. a person obsessed with masculinity starts talking about Greece and Rome without yeah. understanding the idea of masculinity in Greece and Rome. Yeah. Um, insights from his own experience, and above all, the biblical model of manhood. Holly, <laughs> Holly offers a provocative prescription for restoring the health of our republic by restoring the health of American men. In manhood, you'll learn... Uh, and, and it's bullet points after that. The essential virtues every man must cultivate. Machiavelli Why, called them virtue. <laughs> <laughs> Why every man has duties as a warrior, a builder, a priest, and a king. Why courage and commitment are the non-negotiable starting point for manhood. And the alluring but misguided ancient philosophy that underlies modern liberalism and is leading our nation to ruin. I Great. wonder if he ends up just saying that it's, uh, I don't know, Old Testament related? Uh, written with, I'm saying that Josh Hawley is an anti-Semite. I am saying that Josh Hawley is an anti-Semite. That is what I am saying. Let's that is see. the position I am staking out. Written with a lawyer's rigor and a father's passion and a oh, statesman's vision. Manhood is essential reading for our time. That is what we are about to get ourselves into, Benedict. And then uh, I just enjoyed the chapter titles, which I found very hilarious. Uh, and I'll just go through them and tell you to uh, what they are. One, in the beginning. There was Josh Hawley. Mm-hmm. A man's mission. Uh, three, a man's battle. Four, a man's promise. It's a bullshit self-help book is it what is. it is. That's what I think it is, but yeah. it's full of Christian fascism. And then we get husband, father, warrior, builder, priest, king, and the epilogue of temples and men. Um, this is going to be different than what we've read in the past, I think, for sure. I think so. I think it's definitely going to be different, and I am somewhat excited for something different, no matter how much I hate Josh Hawley. Hate them all. Let's go. <laughs> so no matter what happens as we go through this book, uh, Benedict, just remember, it's all your fault. That's what yep, you have to remember. Yep, that's right. I, I cop to that. That's fine. <laughs> But thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episode. Shoutouts on the show. Uh, I don't know. What's the last one I always say? God, I thought get I your could attention do it off the with dome. something good. I, I thought I could do it off the dome this time. You can't. Uh, early yeah. releases of our episodes and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. What, one second. You'd... Slipping into the sheriff voice from there, and uh, <laughs> go, you're going usual, on mail. I have to give a shout out to our <laughs> wonderful and amazing patrons. Don't do the whole list. Teach take you a beast, fucking long time. G Wizzle, <laughs> the ghost of Larry Nichols, partner. Jacob Johnson, Dan Razari, a wee woo thing. That's the one I wanted to get to. <laughs> I had to do it in that voice. New buildings are a globalist conspiracy. Carrie Conrison, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson, Vetro, Stephen DeBoe, Torian DeGallant, Raptor Princess vs. the Shadow Wolves, Runak Seti, A.D. Kaiser, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S., I've never listened to your podcast any slower than 1.3x speed, William Patterson, Flack Weasel, Kieran Dackler. Join us next week when our guest will be Yevgeny Prigozhin's airplane mechanic. Oh, dear. Henry Louis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley. He... Th- they usually don't change it if we do a quick record of an episode yeah. right after the last one. 
Uh, Sarah Wolf, Eric Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Gloria Scott, Clifton Stuckey, Paws, Arrestless Native, A Baby, Wah, Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, Stefan, everyone, so everyone within the sound of my voice has to see Barbie! Utah Outcast, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Biggie Z Blast Me, Jay Reynolds, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick, Taru Tacannon, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, I'll see you later, Bill Bye. Bye. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.